Typically the word empty is considered a negative term. For example, an empty wallet, an empty gas can, an empty cup of coffee, and to those with the sweet tooth, an empty box of chocolates. But when it comes to Christianity, there is something beautiful about something empty, and that is the empty tomb. Yet, despite the Christian's claim that the tomb is empty, there remains no shortage of skeptics who would be quick to say that the empty tomb is full of empty promises. Well, is that true? Are we fooling ourselves? Can we believe what some would claim to be the greatest story ever told, i.e. the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, is the tomb empty? Well, on today's episode, we consider some of the objections while unpacking the evidence in defense of the empty tomb. Welcome to the show that loves doubters. Here in Christianity Still Makes Sense, we are making sense of the doubts that can deconstruct our Christian faith with near apostate, now pastor and apologist, Dr. Bobby Conway. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Well, Bobby, I've got some clips that I want to show you from a YouTuber known as Apologia. Now, he is an apostate. He has walked away from the Christian faith, and he spends his time trying to bring others along on his grandiose insight. Let's listen to three of these clips and have you respond. Here, here's the first clip. Now, what are these so-called Christian martyrs? Individuals who died horrible deaths for claiming to have seen resurrected Jesus. Unfortunately, the Christian me who went off on this quest was mortified to find that there is no solid evidence for any such person, or even the watered-down claim of being willing to suffer. So is there any evidence for people willing to suffer for being an eyewitness to the resurrection? I'm not sure uh, what this guy's talking about, Tim. It sounds like he is specifically referring to someone who died because they claimed to have seen the resurrected Christ and didn't recant, therefore they died a martyr's death. Mm -hmm. uh, first off, why does that matter, that particular uh, you know, claim? Uh, that would do nothing to disprove Christianity or the resurrection. I mean, we know that Paul and Peter died in Rome, for example, that James was martyred. But why would we have to say that they were martyred because they specifically claimed to have seen the resurrected Christ? Uh, they were martyred because they lived for Christ and wouldn't deny him. But what's with the tight nuance here? I realize you're showing me a clip. Perhaps there's more to the story. Many people have died martyrs' deaths. Uh, who believed in the resurrected Christ, regardless of whether they claimed to have seen him. More than that, in the last few weeks, I've been absorbed reading materials leading up to and following the emergence of the church. For example, I read the Apocrypha, some of the spurious gospels like the Gospel of Thomas and Judas, and several works by the early church fathers like that of Clement of Rome, Ignatius, and Polycarp. Uh, and to say that no one suffered willingly is just naive. I mean, Polycarp beckoned the animals to come and tear him alive. He beckoned basically the fires and the heat of the flames to be turned up. Uh, and so did many other martyrs who did not back down. So to say that no one was willing specifically as an eyewitness, well, uh, Paul witnessed the resurrected Christ and said in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. But perhaps it's the evidence that we don't know of an eyewitness that died because, uh, you know, he wouldn't recant. But why would that matter, I guess? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I again, as we're thinking about some of this stuff, we, we're trying to nail down the resurrection being kind of the crux of Christianity. And so I think the empty tomb, uh, again, for Apologia, he's really asking the question, well, could this have happened? Could this have come about uh, in some other way? And so, again, what you're leaning on is early church fathers, and, and what we often lean on is that, and the gospel. So let's maybe jump to this next clip where he's kind of talking a little bit about the gospel. So let's, let's dive in here. And what are the gospels? The four accounts that evangelicals assert are eyewitness testimonies of Jesus' resurrection. Once again, Christian me was devastated to find that the evidence for traditional authorship is built on the flimsiest and meagerest and late church tradition. Nothing more. Well, again, one of his claims, and a claim that he makes and others make, is that the Gospels are anonymous, that we don't know who wrote them. So let's kind of start there. What, what do we do with this charge that the Gospels are anonymous? Yeah, again, I'm, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Uh, that is a spurious claim that has been passed around. Uh, in his book, uh, The Case for Jesus, Dr. Brant Petrie, he explains the argument away by stating, first, according to this theory, all four Gospels were originally published without any titles or headings identifying the authors. Second, all four Gospels supposedly circulated without any titles for almost a century before anyone attributed them to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Third, it was only much later, sometime after the disciples of Jesus were dead and buried, that the titles were finally added to the manuscripts. And fourth, perhaps most significant all, according to this theory, because the Gospels were originally anonymous, it is reasonable to conclude that none of them was actually written by an eyewitness. But then uh, Dr. Brant Petrie goes on to explain uh, the first and perhaps biggest problem for the theory of the anonymous Gospels is this. No anonymous copies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John have ever been found. They do not exist. As far as we know, they never have. When it comes to the titles of the Gospels, not only the earliest and best manuscripts, but all of the ancient manuscripts, without exception in every language, attribute the four Gospels to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that is a powerful thought. And then he goes on to say, if things happened the way the anonymous theory proposes, then why aren't some copies attributed to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but other copies attributed to someone else? For instance, Andrew or Peter or Jude. If the Gospels really got their titles from scribes falsely adding them to manuscripts up to a century later, we would expect to find one, anonymous copies, which as we've already seen don't exist, as well as two, contradictory titles, with some scribes attributing one copy of a Gospel to Matthew and another attributing the same Gospel to Peter or Jesus or whomever. In short, the theory of the anonymous Gospels suffers not only from a lack of manuscript evidence, but also from a lack of logic. It simply does not pass muster when it comes to the basic criteria of historical plausibility. So that comes from Brant Petrie and his argument. But on top of that, Tim, uh, you've got all of our early sources mentioning gospel authorship. For example, mm. Papias, uh, the Muratorium Fragment, and Irenaeus. They all attribute traditional authors of the Gospels to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, if somebody was wanting to understand an anonymous source, uh, then think Hebrews. While there are people who come down on who the author is, some say Paul, some say Barnabas, uh, there is you know, a valid discussion to have there. But as it relates to the Gospels, 
people are arguing uh, in this way, and it's been refuted. Uh, that is an excellent point that you just brought up about Hebrews. If we needed, uh, if the if the idea was we can't have any anonymous you know writings in the New Testament, well. Hebrews would have been labeled written by X a long time ago, right? So I, I think right. that that's a really excellent point. What about the evidence that the Gospels are written by eyewitness accounts, or that they at least contain eyewitness accounts? How would we support that? Well, the, the traditional belief is indeed that you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you have Luke, who's an apostle of, uh, or Luke, who is an associate of the apostle Paul, and Mark, who's an associate um, of the apostle Peter. And then you've got Matthew and John who would be eyewitnesses of Jesus and knowing him personally. Uh, so this would be the way that it's understood. Now you can take somebody like Origen, who, you know, he was a, a divisive figure. Um, one side he's, you know, defending the Christian faith on the other side, he's called a heretic, but he's, uh, basically somebody who said that and attributed those four Gospels to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, it's not required that anytime somebody is putting their name on the cover letter, that then they go in and explain, hey, it's really me. It, it, I'm that guy. Like, right. it, And so it's almost like uh, Paulagia would expect, you know, that Matthew would say, oh, I'm the tax collector whom Jesus called. That's me. And I want you to be really aware of that. And here's how you can know that it's me because of A, B, C, D, and E. And so it's like he sets up a criteria for us, right? Like if you're going to believe in a resurrection, then you need to believe this. And then it's kind of like now are we going to set up a criteria in order to believe it's Mark? Uh, Mark would have to say A, B, C, D, and E in order for us to believe it's actually Mark. And I, I think that what we would have is the early church fathers uh, and looking at their writings and whom they say they believe to have written these works. And then you can even just see some of the way that the writings uh, take place. Like, I mean, for example, you take Luke. I mean, he's obviously being very careful in the way that he sets out to write his gospel account. He concedes the point on the front end. And then we see his association with Paul in the book of Acts. And so I feel like um, maybe... Apologia is, you know, creating a standard um, that is allowing him to sit comfortable in his uh, rejection of the Gospels because he's putting together his sort of metrics by which everybody has to comply. Mm -hmm. And frankly, um, you know, it, it doesn't bother me that much. And even if I'd say what it's like, even if you didn't have the direct authors, like let's just say it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but let's say you got the wrong John. Hmm. And so some say it was John the apostle, but some say it was another John. Well, uh, that doesn't really, you know, destroy my faith if I've got the wrong John any right. more than I don't have to know who wrote the book of Hebrews in order to benefit from the book of Hebrews. I'm looking at the content and what's being claimed there. When you contrast like the gospel of Thomas, uh, which is clearly, you know, a fabrication, you can see some of the distinct differences. Or you take like the gospel of Judas, for example. Well, both in the gospel of Thomas and gospel of Judas, Judas and Thomas are long dead because they're written way later. Right. Not only that, you take somebody like Judas, uh, and in the gospel of Judas, Jesus is basically 
telling him that, yeah, you've got to betray me. It's, it's the way it's got to work out so that, you know, prophecy can be fulfilled. And so Judas is just doing what Jesus thinks he wants him to do. Well, right. if Judas in the gospel, Judas is doing what Jesus wants him to do. Well, then why would he go commit suicide? And why would he be called the son of perdition? And so, in other words, you can see clearly there's differences there. Uh, but I think that, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not really resonating with this guy. Yeah. Well, so we've addressed some of Apologia's objections. You know, for you and your studies, what are some of the objections, some of the big objections that you've heard to the empty tomb? Some of the common objections that come up is, you know, that this body was stolen. Um, when you think about Mary Magdalene uh, in the Gospel of John in chapter 20, when she shows up um, and then she goes and she wants to tell uh, the disciples and then Peter and John Sprint making a beeline back, she says, hey, you know, someone's taken the body. Uh, when you look in the Gospel of Matthew, for example, uh, that is, you know, one of the theories is that, hey, um, let's just say that the disciples stole the body. So on one side, you have the, the disciples like that being Mary, thinking that the skeptics stole the body. But then you have the skeptics who also think maybe the disciples stole the body. Let's just say that in order to silence people. Well, what motivation would the disciples have of stealing the body and then going and announcing he's alive, he has risen? Like if they could hardly follow him, uh, you know, uh, in the, his life uh, and were running and sprinting from him basically when he was betrayed, why would they go and lie uh, and then say he's alive and then die a martyr's death or be brutally beaten on his behalf? That doesn't make sense. But then again, if you have the skeptics that stole the body, then the moment that the disciples were saying that he's alive, they would have brought the body and said, no, here he is right here. We right. took his body and we moved it over here and you're lying. He's not alive. So that is one of the earliest objections that arose. Another objection that would later come about would be uh, the swoon theory. That is the fact that some would say he passed out on the cross and resuscitated in the tomb. Uh, but that is, you know, a silly uh, objection. I mean, you're going to take the beating that Jesus did, being pierced in the side, uh, put on a cross, uh, pierced between the hands and the feet, uh, beaten, having a crown of thorns placed on you. He's so weak that he can't even carry the cross up to Golgotha that Simon Cyrene had to help carry the cross for him. And then he's going to be taken down from a cross put in burial clothing that could have weighed up to 150 pounds that would have stuck to him and then put inside a tomb with potentially a one to two ton uh, stone rolled in front of it with Roman guards on the outside. And he's just going to resuscitate, unroll himself, push a 2000 pound stone away and get past the Roman guards. Uh, how, that just seems absurd. Uh, another theory would be that, you know, the disciples were hallucinating, but he appeared on multiple occasions and on one occasion um, to 500 at once. So it's as if to say that Paul, uh, you know, when he's writing about this is saying some of these are still alive. Like yeah. go ask these witnesses, they're eyewitnesses to this resurrection. Like they're living at the time 
that this was being written. So that's powerful to show early testimony that some of the living witnesses were actually alive. And to think of 500 people hallucinating at one time, as I've said many times before, I mean, I've had my share of hallucinogens, uh, you know, back in my pre-Jesus days, yeah. and 500 people uh, frying on LSD, you don't see the same thing. Yeah. Uh, you're having your own individual trips. So yeah. I just don't buy that. I think it's easier to believe in the, the, the truthfulness of the resurrection than to believe in some of the objections that people raise. Well, I think that's an excellent point that you just raised there. And so we, we've done the objections. We've talked about some of Paul of Gia's objections. We've talked about some of the other objections that Paul of Gia didn't even mention it in his videos there. Um, but I want you to build the case for the empty tomb, for the resurrection. How would you go about doing that? I think it's crucial that we get the resurrection right. And here's why. Paul shoots us straight. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. He says that in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. So that is powerful. I guess four lines of evidence that I would want to lay out is, first, prophecy proves Christ's resurrection. The Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Uh, now, what, what scriptures was Paul referring to? Obviously, the Old Testament. In Isaiah 53, 11, that is a prophecy appearing 700 years prior to Christ. Uh, we also have Psalm 16, 9 and 10, which is fulfilled in Acts 2, 24, which is a thousand years prior to Christ. Uh, so those are just a few of the prophetic uh, places we can look relating to the resurrection of Christ. The New Testament apostles and Jesus himself predicted his resurrection uh, in all four Gospels. So yeah. this is something that's important. Jesus did that in John 11, verse 25. Uh, we see that also in Luke 9, verse 22, where he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, dot, 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 be killed and raised to life on the third day. So he was even saying that this is going to happen. Okay, so what's your second line of evidence? We got four, we got one down. What's your second one? Yeah, I think that a personless tomb proves Christ's resurrection. Uh, there are some that, um, you know, would want to say that, you know, Jesus never existed. There are some that would want to say his body was just lost. But at the same token, uh, I think that we have a hard time getting Christianity off the ground without the existence of Jesus. And I think that we have to realize that when Mary Magdalene and when Mary went to the tomb, it was empty. Similarly with Peter and John, um, it was significant for women to see the empty tomb first. Uh, if you were making up this story, you wouldn't have done so by having Mary uh, Magdalene and Mary be the first two witnesses of the empty tomb as females because their testimony wasn't credible. So it makes you think that they were trying to adequately define what they saw, and that was indeed a personless tomb. Okay, so what's your third line of evidence? We'll keep going here. Yeah, post-resurrection appearances. Uh, it says in Acts 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God in Acts 1, 3. Well, we know that he appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the other women, 
to Cleopas, uh, to the disciple on the road to Emmaus, to the disciples, uh, to the uh, 11 disciples, to 10 apostles and others, uh, with Thomas absent on another occasion to Thomas, he appeared to uh, Paul the apostle. So this is significant and the 500 on one occasion. So I think that we can realize that Jesus was given ample evidence that he indeed defeated death and that he arose from the grave. Well, before you get to your fourth line of evidence, if this has been valuable for any of our listeners, we would invite you to uh, like this video on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also catch this as an audio-only podcast on your favorite podcast player, and you can hear this again and again and again. And so we covet your support with that. So uh, let's move to the fourth line of evidence, Bobby. Let's dive in. Yes. Uh, The fourth line of evidence would be personal life change points to Christ's resurrection. Hmm. And this is big. When you think about the resurrection of Jesus, Tim, uh, before the resurrection, as I said, the disciples scattered. Uh, You know, they did not want to stand in faith. They fleed. Peter denied Jesus three times. But after the resurrection, uh, you have disciples who are willing to die, martyrs' deaths. You have disciples who are suffering. Uh, You have disciples that won't stay silent. Uh, Peter denies Jesus three times. And Paul persecutes the church, and yet both would die under Nero. Um, I mean, so that's significant. Peter's denying Jesus, Paul's persecuting the church, but after encountering the resurrected Christ, both would go and die under the leadership of Hero or Hero <laughs> of Nero. And then you got uh, you know James as well, who would die uh, you know a martyr's death. The disciples saw. Uh, the risen Christ and no longer scattered from him, but they shouted out his name. Peter saw the risen Christ and no longer denied him, but declared him. James saw the risen Christ and no longer was he embarrassed by him as his half-brother, but rather he embraced him. Paul saw the risen Christ and he learned that what he thought was a spoof that Jesus was alive, he believed was proof in the fact that Christ encountered him. So with one snapshot of the resurrected Christ, all those lives were transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. You wouldn't have got the church off the ground without the resurrection of Christ and without these who claim to have seen him. Amen to that. Any final closing thoughts that you wanna share in our last minute here? I would just encourage people that if they don't believe in the resurrection, consider the objections, consider uh, the evidences, and then realize that the evidences are much stronger Uh, that we can give than the objections. And if you're not going to believe in the resurrection, you've got to come to the point where you can ask yourself, then what is the reason why I don't believe? What am I going to say? What evidence am I going to give that could trump the evidence in favor of it? Excellent points, Bobby. Appreciate your insight here so much. And with that, we will meet you next time on Christianity Still Makes Sense. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel.
This show was sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.